Welcome to Audacious Water, the podcast about how to create a world of water abundance for everyone. I'm John Sabo, director of the Bywater Institute at Tulane University. On today's show, corporate water stewardship from the NGO partner perspective. We continue our four-part series on corporate water stewardship with Kari Vigerstahl, Director of Water Security, Science, and Innovation for the Nature Conservancy's Global Water Program. Coming up, I talk with Kari about what's catalyzed companies to move to water stewardship projects beyond their four walls, what role NGOs have played in this change, and how nature-based solutions fit in to the picture. Welcome back. I'm happy today to have Kari Vigerstahl here from the Nature Conservancy. Kari is a civil and environmental engineer, and currently she's the director of water security, science, and innovation at TNC. She's been at TNC for about 15 years. As the director of water security, science, and innovation, she works on a variety of different things, one of which is corporate water stewardship, and we're going to talk to her about that today. She also focuses on nature-based solutions. We're going to talk to her about that today. And she's also on the ground working on projects like water funds, and those will probably come up today as well. So Kari, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the, the lesson for, for PepsiCo here. Welcome to the Thanks show. for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you today. So I'm just going to give you kind of the, the overview for the, the links between these. What we're trying to do is trace the evolution of corporate water stewardship from efficiency and within the four walls kind of efforts to what it is today, which is thinking even beyond the watershed uh, of a site. What were, in the 13 years that you've been at TNC and much of that time focused on parts of corporate water stewardship, what were some of the big events that you think catalyzed the change to kind of get out of the facility and into the watershed? Yeah, it's been really interesting to see that evolution and really exciting because the more that that companies moved outside the four walls, the more we could engage in helping them deliver on some of that work. So I think there are a few elements that happened in parallel. There were some global commitments that I think really got some thinking um, going in terms of you know the importance of working in the watershed. One of those was the commitment, the UN General Assembly's commitment to human right to water, which changed in some ways the way that we think about water and the commitment of governments and companies to that. Another one was obviously the sustainable development goals that were set in 2015. And there was a call even more so than in the past for the private sector to become part of delivering on those goals. And many of the leading companies really stepped up and included and integrated this SDGs and how they were thinking about many of the sustainability goals, including about water stewardship, which necessarily drove them outside of their four walls. At the same time, there was a number of events that really raise the awareness or expose companies to what was going on in terms of risks to the to their operations, to their supply chains related to water and what was happening in the watershed. So including some facilities that actually closed because due to, in some cases, that public perception that the lack of water was because of the company's use of that water in their community. And there were also some severe drought events in areas that were really key to sourcing of water and supply chains. So for example, Sao Paulo had a really critical drought a few years ago. Cape Town was nearing day zero. California had a number of years of severe drought. And that really sort of raised the awareness of companies that they were at risk because of water and that doing work just inside their fall walls wasn't going to be enough to address that risk. 
So really what was happening in some ways that was highlighting how the dependency of water was changing in part because of the feeling of the, or the impacts of climate change on, on water resources. And, and that was going to only get worse over time. And so this resulted in a number of new kinds of commitments from companies that we hadn't seen before. One of those was Coca-Cola's commitment to replenishment. So replenishing all the water they were using within their four walls by investing in projects in, for the environment and for communities out in the watershed. There was also PepsiCo's positive water impact goal and many other companies such as AB InBev, General Mills, Diageo, and, and many others who started setting these really bold global goals that reached outside of their, their four walls. There's definitely be a lot of change since, for example, the early 2000s to now in how companies are thinking about water stewardship. That's a great picture that you just painted. But one of the things that stands out to me that I think is interesting is, is the difference between reacting to impacts and baking in dependencies to your business model. It sounds like it's really evolved in that direction. Is that a pretty accurate? Yeah, I think early on there were some immediate reactions to something that was happening, but over time there was a realization that there needed to sort of be some forward thinking about both dependencies and impacts of water related to companies' operations and, and supply chains. Cool. Let's see. What about, um, you mentioned some programs that certain companies kind of, some goals that they set. What about projects? Were there projects that just stand out to you that that certain companies have done or groups of companies that have done that just kind of really change the way we view about what kind of work we can do as a collaborative? Yeah, I mean, I think many of those commitments, which sound great, <laughs> that we're going to offset our water use over the whole globe. What's really powerful about those are the projects on the ground, right? What those result in. I could talk about dozens of projects that are part of those goals where companies were investing in and are still are investing in not only, you know, projects that like wash projects, which um, in many cases they hadn't before in watershed protection and restoration projects. But also what was really interesting was starting to see that companies were working together where they hadn't before. And I think that to me, that was like one of the, the boldest things that were happening. Wow. You know, companies that were former competitors, continue to be competitors in business, realized that water was a pre-competitive notion and that in order to actually solve these challenges, they were going to have to work together. And so to me, those first projects where collective action was taking place between not only a private sector, government, NGOs, but also a company that, that may be in the business world competitive, they were working together to establish these projects and really have an impact as a collective. So, you know, for example, in California, the California Water Action Collaborative brought a number of, of companies together during the California drought, where there was, you know, alarm bells ringing and companies were have, experiencing cutbacks um, that were required by um, different uh, cities or counties or, or, or statewide. And they were realizing they needed to work together and figure out how to address some of those risks. And so to me, that was sort of the most innovative thing that, that happened or the boldest thing that happened in many projects in different places around the world. Tell me a little bit about, you know, and, and maybe think about this internationally as well, how NGOs, in particular TNC, played a role in or helped catalyze that, that change because that's a big change. Yeah, that. NGOs definitely played a role in that. You know, I think early on as companies were making this shift outside of their four walls, it was scary. You know, <laughs> there was a lot of, uncertainty about how they start to engage outside the four walls. You know, what does that look like? 
what are the steps that they take to, to do that? And I think that's where NGOs and, and TNC included were able to provide some technical assistance, guidance that really helped move that forward. As well as I think one of the biggest challenges is stakeholder engagement and the actual development and implementation of on-the-ground projects. It's just not what a company who's making you know, soda or beer or, or clothes is positioned to do. So it's really helpful to have NGO partners and, and they were able to kind of step up and help them take those steps. So um, it's something, you know, at TNC, we've been doing for a really long time. With all of our projects, we're always engaging with local communities, government, other stakeholders, and we know how to design and implement projects like, you know, watershed restoration projects and other kinds of projects that help address water security issues. And then the other thing that happened, I think was interesting that there was a few new NGOs that sort of popped up to serve these needs. So some of the early organizations like the Water Footprint Network and the Alliance for Water Stewardship, you know, they started to standardize how companies track their water use or what are some standardized steps a company might take to engage in water stewardship in the watershed. And along with that were some really powerful tools and guidance such as WRI's Aqueduct and water, WWF's Water Risk Filter Tool, which gave put data in the hands of companies to understand their risks globally and to start to prioritize where they might focus their work. And so I think today, the way I see it is that public-private partnerships are the norm for water stewardship. It's the way that most companies go about accomplishing their goals and implementing action to meet those goals globally and locally. Let's pivot and shift gears a little bit here. Maybe not, but tell me about water funds and how that fits into this conversation about corporate water stewardship. Yeah, definitely is um, closely related. So Water funds is a mechanism that TNC has been implementing for over 20 years now. The first one was in Quito, Ecuador. And really, these are watershed protection and restoration programs that focus on some of the most important water challenges and come up with a strategic plan to address those challenges over time. So they're basically a collective action platform, and they provide sustainable funding and sustainable governance to move that platform forward. And they, all of the water funds create an action plan that's per, that is based on science and stakeholder engagement. So it takes into account the local context, what's already in place, you know, what is the science telling us about what would be most effective to address water security issues. And they, one of the key challenges they solve, which is related to something I mentioned before, is that they are able to translate funding from downstream water users, such as companies, into actual project implementation in solutions that support local communities and provide, in many cases, multiple benefits in addition to the water security benefits. And so, importantly, those might be upstream, those projects, right? But, yes, a lot of those yeah. projects are upstream in, in many times rural communities that we work with, either directly with the communities or local NGOs or community groups to implement those actions. Where does TNC have the most water funds right now? So uh, the majority of our water funds are in Latin America. Mm -hmm. since that's where we started implementing those projects. But we have quite a number in North America, Africa, Asia, and in Europe, we have a couple underway in development. Just going to keep following this track. So are companies involved in all of them or is in some cases they're not? Is it, you know, tell me how the corporate, what corporate engagement looks like across those. For a lot of our water funds, companies have been really important investors and supporters. So often, you know, companies are willing to kind of put some money up front and some of the development, like the feasibility studies, the design, and getting the water fund going because 
they can then leverage their funding into this platform that is sustainably managed and, and brought forward into implementation. So yes, we have partnerships with a number of companies that are global that support water funds in several places. And then in individual water funds, there are other local companies that might contribute. It's a good question about whether companies support every water fund. I, I would have to say no, just because I don't want to yeah. <laughs> claim that. But in many of our water funds, the private sector are really important partners, both for helping to initiate an ongoing operation and financial support. Coming up, Kari reflects on how corporate engagement on water has transformed NGOs and whether she thinks nature-based solutions is a shift to engineering with nature versus simply restoring it. I'm going to take a step back to where we were before because I remembered a question that I wanted to ask you at the end of, of you know this, this transition between within the four walls to collective action. And you kind of called out collective action and and as a big step forward. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is how has corporate engagement transformed the NGO? You know, the opposite kind of question, because, you know, TNC is probably a much different animal than it was before. That's an interesting question. One thing that pops into my mind is how we measure impact. I think it's been really interesting because companies obviously report on their success, you know, on their revenue and other kinds of KPIs on a much shorter timeline than most of these NGOs do. You know, we're talking about conservation of ecosystems for decades. <laughs> so that's been really interesting is trying to find that balance between how we are able to report on success in the shorter term, but understanding that there's a commitment to the longer term, that really what we're aiming for is a sustainability of these watersheds to deliver on water security and community benefits in the longer term. Yeah. So balancing that has been really interesting, I think has, has been a, a change of how we think about projects and yeah. KPI, you know, makes, makes it sense. the contract deliverable timeline for, for corporate is year or less. And that's mm-hmm. much different than foundations and, and research funding. I know yeah. that also from the academic perspective. So that makes it feel sense. Let's pivot to nature-based solutions. And, you know, I mean, water funds fit in that. How is TNC positioning or marketing nature-based solutions to companies? It's really interesting because it's one of those things that, you know, we've been like other conservation nonprofits, we've been doing nature-based solutions since we started, you know, for protection or restoration. So in some ways, it's about terminology and how we think about these solutions, right? So it really started, I think, with the evolution of the term of ecosystem services and understanding that nature and, and conservation efforts can result in benefits to people. And so that's that sort of then evolved into what we're calling nature-based solutions today, which are you know anything that could protect, restore, or improve management to deliver on, you know, to address different challenges and to deliver on human well-being and biodiversity benefits. So it really covers a wide variety of different kinds of actions that can bring about these benefits. And so one of the key aspects of nature-based solutions, of many types of nature-based solutions, that they can help sustain and improve on watershed health, which we believe that is critical to ensuring those types of benefits that companies and people are interested in, including water security benefits like water quality and water quantity, but also a whole variety of other benefits. So when companies are thinking about what types of solutions might address their impacts and dependencies in watersheds, there's a whole variety, the whole list of different, depending on the context of solutions, which include both green solutions, which are, you know, nature-based solutions are one kind of green solution and gray solutions. And, you know, we support looking at that whole variety of solutions. But what we found is that nature-based solutions can help provide 
some, in some cases, in many cases, a more cost-effective solution over the longer term and a more sustainable solutions, whereas some gray solutions have a, you know, a lifespan of a certain number of years. Green solutions or nature-based solutions might have unlimited lifespan. I mean, both need some kind of maintenance and you know, management over time, but yeah. we've definitely found that. And then also nature-based solutions, as I mentioned, can help deliver on multiple benefits. So as companies are making commitments in multiple areas, including water security, but also climate mitigation and adaptation, human well-being, human health, biodiversity, nature-based solutions can help deliver on multiple commitments in different ways. So that's some of the ways that we're kind of talking about this and why companies are interested in investing nature-based solutions. And so, as I mentioned, we were chatting earlier, I do quite a a lot of work in nature-based solutions, including trying to build up the science and understanding of that. And then in recent years, there's also been a lot of guidance that has been produced. So recently with the Sierra Water Mandate, Denon and Limnotech, we've provided guidance on sort of accounting for benefits for companies. And we're going to be releasing a tool next month that will help companies identify and account for for benefits in nature-based solutions. So there's been a lot of work helping to support companies' understanding and um, knowledge around nature-based solutions. I've seen previews of that tool. That's really an interesting and exciting development. That's fun. Yeah, we're excited about it. So I'm going to go back to your training in civil environmental engineering and ask you a question about NGO work in general, which is, do you see nature-based solutions as as a shift in focus from going back to nature to engineering nature for benefits? So I think to varying degrees, it really depends on the nature-based solutions, right? I don't know if you've seen, there's been several versions of sort of a a chart which shows a spectrum of nature-based solutions all the way from very gray to protecting ecosystems all the way over on the very green. So I think there's a variety of how strongly we're engineering versus letting nature just be as it is, maybe managing it a little bit. And I think that's healthy. I think that we want both, right? Like in urban areas where you don't have nature anymore in a lot of places, being able to return some of that nature with green roofs, with swales, with you know, small community forests, I think is really important. And so I think allowing ourselves to have that full spectrum of options is uh, really valuable. That's neat. I mean, I asked the question primarily because I have a collaboration with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and they have Mm -hmm. an initiative within their, within ERDIC, which is their research arm, that's called Engineering with Nature. And clearly the core is all about engineering, right? And so I think that perspective is probably more towards the gray end of of your continuum than restoring an ecosystem. But um, I like the idea that you presented of, of there being a gradient. And I think it's important to understand that there is an, there's probably a role in some cases for engineering and there's probably a role in other cases for trying to restore. And in many cases, both, right? I think right. in most places we need both green and gray and they can help create a more robust right. system, especially when we're thinking about climate change impacts and uncertainties due to that. So maybe the last question in the podcast and, and also for learners for the course, we we cover a lot of science. So, and you have some science background and also do science for TNC. What's the role? What do you think the the significance or role of science is for these companies to make you know, the best decisions, the best strategies? Well, maybe I'm biased <laughs> because I am a scientist, but I think it's critical, right? Because I think companies can make a lot of, you know, commitments and they can throw their money in a lot of directions, but when it comes down to it, you know, if we really want to have impactful projects, we need the science to determine, first of all, you know, prioritize places and challenges, and then to design solutions that will 
address those challenges and then also to track impact and make and allow ourselves to adaptively manage. Yeah, right. I think without the science, the data, the knowledge, I think we run the risk of spending running in the wrong places and focusing on communication with that or PR versus uh, really having a meaningful impact on the world. I think you just brought up a really important piece, which is, you know, you can do one-time one-off projects that aren't sustainable, but the management evaluation, the adaptive management piece, I think is is super important. And science does bring that to the table as well. Not just portfolio strategy, but also the reporting and, and making sure the project is doing what it's supposed to, given that we have a changing climate and, and we have a you know global change in general. Yeah, it's super important in the light of, of how the world is changing so quickly. Right. Like you said, both with climate and socioeconomically and all, all kinds of different ways. So we definitely need adaptive management to ensure that our projects are delivering on what we intend them to do. Or maybe our intentions change over time, right? With, with right. changes in yeah. communities. And <laughs> yeah, definitely important adaptive management. Well, Kari, it's been great to have you on the podcast and for the learners in the lesson. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's fun talking to you about all of this. All right. Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode of Audacious Water. If you like the show, please rate or review us and tell your colleagues and friends. For more information about Audacious Water, visit our website at audaciouswater.org backslash podcast. Until next time, I'm John Sable.